Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. Well, last week we heard the first part of a message given by Bible teacher Dr. A.J. Hickens on the subject of time, and we discovered that the Bible has a lot to say about this very special commodity. First, that we need to learn lessons from our time past, and then use the rest of our days in service to the Lord. And Dr. Higgins continues with his subject today, specifically talking about what we call our leisure time not only to understand its purpose and to establish our priorities, but also to be aware of the pitfalls associated with a time that we consider our own. Let's join Dr. Higgins and listen to the second part of his message entitled, My Time, Your Time. Let me talk, though, about something that maybe you haven't thought of. I call it the liability. Not now the tragedy, but the liability of, of leisure time. There has never been a generation, now you may say, you don't know how hard I work. I think I know something about long hours, but there has never been a generation where, for the most part, we have as much, quote, leisure time. You may say, 10-hour days, sometimes six days a week, leisure time. Well, your ancestors work 12 hours a day, six days a week, sometimes longer, walking back and forth to work, sometimes an hour. Had a father-in-law that used to spend an hour and a half, bus, trolley, train, back and forth to work, you know, leave at five, get home at seven spent much longer hours. We think we have it bad because we drive in our air-conditioned cars to our air-conditioned offices, go to lunch in an air-conditioned building, come out to our air-conditioned cars, go back to our air-conditioned homes. Boy, what a rough day it was with the heat. You know, that's how we think. Yet we had a generation before us that had none of the things we had. They would go to work, walk to meetings, sometimes a mile or two, come back home, go to bed, get up in the morning at five for work, walk. They had it much more difficult than we did. We have more leisure time Vacations? If you're my age, just think back to how many vacations your parents took you on as a child. Money was scarce. Time was limited. It's all a new thing that we have. Vacations, leisure time, hobbies. So there is a tremendous danger to how we spend our leisure time. How you spend your leisure time may well determine your spiritual destiny. What kind of person will I be for God? Well, you may say that's kind of strong and... Uh, you know, kind of direct. Well, you just think of it. What do you do with your leisure time? Oh, you say, that is my time, isn't it? I I can do what I want, right? Really? Is any time really your time? Is any time really your time? Peter says, the rest of our days to the will of God. All my time belongs to God. He's given it to me. It's a stewardship. I've got to be accountable for it. Does that mean then that God doesn't want us to have leisure time? No, not at all. God does want and recognize the need for individuals to have leisure time. But how I spend it. The way I spend my leisure time should be to recharge my batteries, if you'll allow the analogy, to recharge my batteries for the rest of my time. If what I do in my leisure time is totally anti the Word of God, if how I spend my leisure time is with total disregard for God, 
how I spend my leisure time is all about me and mine. And and that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with pursuits, just a danger. Because what happens as we get involved with leisure time is it begins to create a pattern and an interest, doesn't it? And so pretty soon all you begin reading about are travel magazines. And all you begin doing is thinking about your next trip, saving for your next trip. And soon everything is around my hobbies, my leisure time, my activities. And I begin finding I don't have quite as much time for the people of God. But let me mention one other thing about leisure time. I can only think of two instances in the Word of God where there is the idea, the concept of leisure time. People had nothing to do, and they both ended in disaster. Genesis chapter 34, a young woman named Dinah. Jacob has stopped short of where he should be, so he bears some burden. But his daughter Dinah just decides to go out to see the daughters of the land. Another man finds her, and the rest is tragedy. And the result is a man's name is shamed, two brothers are cursed, she is defiled. And I turn my Bible, a few books, to Second Samuel, and I see a king. When men are going forth to war, he's leisurely walking upon the roof of his house. And he sees a beautiful woman, and you know the rest of the story about David. There is a tremendous danger in leisure time. Now, I'm not saying that you, you know, have to restrict yourself. I'm just saying there needs to be care because leisure time can become a temptation and a snare. Leisure time can become defiling. Leisure time can begin to steer my direction away from what God wants for my life. I enjoy leisure time. I enjoy vacations. I enjoy getting away with my wife, enjoy hiking, enjoy, you know, nothing wrong with all of that. I'm just saying there needs to be care. There needs to be wisdom that my leisure time does not expose me. Now, I'll be honest, I have weaknesses. I'm only an hour from the Atlantic Ocean. I don't like to go to the beach. I can't go to the beach. My wife likes the ocean. I, I, didn't, I don't like the ocean anyway, but she likes it. I can't go. Too defiling. You may say, you're an awful prude. I am an awful prude. I am awful weak. Can't go. Too defiling to me to be there. Got to be careful how we spend our time because it is creating direction for us in life, the danger relative to leisure time. It is something which is very, very important. But let me talk about the possibility of redeeming the time. Priorities, purpose, pitfalls, and principles. Redeeming the time. Paul uses it here, uses it elsewhere. He reminds us in verse number 14, verse number 15 of Ephesians chapter 5, Wherefore, awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead. Christ shall give thee light. Verse 15, see that ye walk circumspectly, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. I think Paul here is giving us insight, and I think we'll be able to look at the value of what he says in just a moment. But I want you to think, first of all, about priorities. How do you redeem time? You establish priorities in life. Establish priorities. Now, Paul says in verse number 17, I don't want you to be, and the word he uses is foolish, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now, just stop there. Full stop. What is the will of the Lord as revealed in Ephesians? Go back to chapter 1. What's his will? The will of God in Ephesians, the will of God in Colossians 1, is Christ preeminent. 
That's what God's will is. This is what life is all about. This is what history is all about. That, that God is moving to this ultimate goal of the glorification, the honor, the exaltation of His Son. Paul says, I want you to be understanding what God's will is. God's will is for Christ to have the supreme place in the entire universe. Well, what's that got to do with me? Once I understand that God intends Christ to be preeminent in every sphere, it settles a lot of questions in life. Can you understand that? Once I see that God wants Christ preeminent, that answers a lot of problems, decides a lot of decisions, creates tremendous direction. And so all I've got to do is bring my decision in line with that. All I've got to do is bring my time in line with that. Oh, you say, you mean that means you should be reading and praying 24 hours a day, going to meetings seven nights a week, going to every... No, 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 no. Christ's preeminence. The Colossian epistle is all about that. In fact, here in Ephesians, it's all about it. You know what he comes to after he speaks about Christ being preeminent, knowing the will of God? Husbands, love your wives. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Bosses, treat your employees right. Employees, you work hard for your boss. Children, parents. He deals with the everyday. Because it is in the everyday things of life. It is as we carry out our responsibilities in even what we call the, the normal humdrum routine of life, doing it according to the Word of God that we are exalting Christ, giving Him His place, His place in our lives, His place in our hearts, so that a husband who is treating his wife the right way, he is recognizing, I am doing this because it is in line with the will of God for Christ to be preeminent. And a wife who bows in submission to her husband, I don't mean literally physically bows, but if you want to, that's fine. My wife wouldn't. Uh, uh, but, but a wife who is submissive to her husband, she's doing it as unto the Lord. She's recognizing his lordship, his lordship. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. So a, a Christian child who obeys their parents is recognizing and giving Christ his place of preeminence. Everything is adjusted. It's like the ultimate master adjuster, you know? The ultimate fix for your computer. Here's the ultimate fix for your life. Christ's preeminent. Everything else takes order from that. Everything else is brought into alignment with that. Paul says, I don't want you to be unwise, but understanding what the will of God is. Now he says, because he's working backwards here, now he says in light of that, I want you to redeem the time. So that means in the humdrum of life, to recognize my priorities. Chapter 4, I should be working for a living. Oh, you mean that's redeeming the time? That's redeeming the time. I should be treating my wife the right way. That's redeeming the time. I should be treating my husband the right way. That's redeeming the time. And all of the relationships he comes to, all of that is understanding the will of God and using the time God has given me that I might give Christ his place of preeminence in every sphere. So when you come to Colossians, the sister epistle of, of Ephesians, which is so similar, the way he puts it in Colossians is this way, that Christ might be all in all. What does he mean by that? Christ is everything in every relationship. Every sphere of my life, Christ preeminent. So Christ is preeminent in my family life, in my business life, in my social life, in my leisure time, Christ preeminent. You know how the world works. It's what's called the compartmentalization of life. You know what that means? 
I've got at home an old roll-top desk that belonged to a great uncle who was a tailor. Got a lot of drawers in it. It's nice and old. It's kind of gotten to the point where it's almost a burden to have it, but it's an old family heirloom. Lots of little drawers. Psychologists will tell you that the way you have to survive is you put your life in little compartments. You know, this is your religious life over here. And when you're done with it, you close the door. And now you've got another little drawer that you pull out called your social life. And it has nothing to do with this drawer. You live your social life this way. As far as your business life, well, that's another drawer. Your religious life doesn't impinge on your business life. Carry out your business according to all the business principles. You know, when you close that, you open up another and that's the compartmentalization of life. Paul says just the opposite. Every aspect of my life controlled by the awareness of the preeminence of Christ that God intends. It settles lots of questions easily. Brings everything into adjustment. And so here then, spiritual responsibilities include work, family, and all of that, all the relationships, and of course, assembly responsibilities. It would mean showing up. It would mean being prepared. It would mean being a help, being able to, in some way, contribute to the welfare of the assembly, the priority of life, giving Christ his place of preeminence, purpose, value-laden lives, lives that really count for God. I don't know if you appreciate that God has invested the mundane with tremendous meaning. Let me just give you one illustration. I don't know anything more mundane than a new mother changing diapers for a baby. Maybe it's some of you fathers who change them now. We won't go there. But there's very little that's as mundane, is there? God says, you doing that for that child with a view to raising him for me. So every aspect of our lives, if done for him, tremendous meaning, tremendous value. Not just mundane, routine, menial things that, what am I doing? You know, I'm sure that any mother with three kids running around, babbling. And someday she must wonder, what am I doing? If you're doing it for him, with a view to children as an heritage from God that you are trying to direct for God has tremendous value and meaning. God has invested every moment of life for us as believers. Think about the big CEOs. Think about the, the big names. Think about the big stars that some of you plaster on your walls as far as sports heroes. Think of men that have poured their lives into large companies and large projects and making millions, and they'll pass off the scene and their lives will be one huge zero. And redemption, divine grace, has invested your life with tremendous meaning and value that what you are doing for God is going to exist for all eternity. When all the big skyscrapers, when Trump Plaza and Casino are gone, when all is forgotten, some mother here who's raised her children for God, that will be remembered for all eternity. God has invested every moment of your life with value and with meaning. The purpose of time. But let me talk about the pitfalls. One of the pitfalls of, uh, of this issue of time is interruptions. You're going to think less of me, so I will have to just bear that. I am an inveterate list maker. In fact, I have lists of my lists, okay? You know, list for the week, and then from that list, list for the day. There is something so wonderful, I can't quite express it, in crossing out something when it's done. It gives me a thrill. Done, you know, on to the next project, okay? And there you have your list, 
and your list of your list and your sublist and uh, the phone rings. You're interrupted. And the whole night is shot because someone needs help. All I wanted to get done doesn't get done. Let me just read you what someone else has written. The great thing to understand, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interrupting one's own or real life. The truth, of course, is that what one calls the interruptions are precisely what one's real life is, the life that God is sending one day at a time. What one calls one's real life is really a phantom of your own imagination. What I have learned is more is often accomplished for God in the interruptions of life than in all of my plans. So is it wrong to make plans? Well, it's hard for God to interrupt someone who's doing nothing. It just doesn't happen. You know, if you're doing nothing, God can't interrupt you. But at least if you're doing something, God has the privilege of interrupting you and redirecting you. Sometimes we get annoyed by the interruptions. We, we feel frustrated by them. But to recognize that God is bringing us life one day at a time, when we think we're being interrupted, God is redirecting us to what he wants us to be doing. So there is the pitfall of thinking in terms of interruptions. There's also the danger of thinking that we must be doing. Now, some of you have read, maybe some of you haven't, having a merry heart in a Martha world. Now, you know Mary and Martha. Martha always doing. Mary with a heart that wanted just to sit and enjoy Christ. There's a danger that we become Martha-like. We've got to be doing. And if we're not doing, we feel useless. And if we're not doing, we feel like God is angry with us or God is displeased with us. So we got to do something. Have to be careful. We have to balance. All of my activity for God should spring from time spent merry-like enjoying Him. If not, it becomes drudgery. If not, it becomes an intolerable burden. And so there needs to be a balance. Time spent with Christ is never wasted time. Time spent communion with God is not wasted time. There needs to be that time from which springs whatever I can do for God in activity. So we need to balance it. The pitfall, the pitfall of misunderstanding interruptions, the pitfall of thinking that I must be always doing, the pitfall of just spinning wheels and getting into ruts. Think of an Elijah with burnout after he had stood upon Mount Horeb and challenged the priests of Baal and had been triumphant for God. And pretty soon he's taking a number under the juniper tree asking God to take him home. Burnout. You need to be careful of that. So the pitfalls. Let me just talk very, very briefly about the, the principles. We don't have time to look at them all. You can consider, just get your computer program or get your dictionary or your concordance, depending upon your age. Just look at the word henceforth, the word henceforth. And so in Romans chapter 6, that great chapter on the truth of baptism, Paul says that we should henceforth not serve sin. So that God intends from this moment on, we should not be serving sin. He says elsewhere, doesn't he, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the love of Christ constrains us. And he says further concerning that, that we should not henceforth live unto ourselves. From this moment on, not living to sin, not living to self. And as you keep tracing it, 
He says in Galatians chapter 6, From henceforth, let no man trouble me. I bear in my body the marks, the brand marks of Christ. He says in our own chapter here in Ephesians chapter 4, we read it together in verse 17, that we should henceforth walk, not as other Gentiles. Back in verse 14, he says, Likewise, we should henceforth no more be infants. And if we looked in 2 Timothy chapter 4, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown. So that Paul expects that conversion should bring a change. Now you profess to be saved. How much of a change in your life? How much of a henceforth? The time passed and henceforth. The times passed and the rest of our days. God is looking and expecting change. To use your days for him. Henceforth, I know that all of you will know a man named Frederick von Doldenschweizk, okay? He's a household name, I know. Just joking. He was a German, and he wrote a little essay, a booklet, How I Administer My Millions. How I Administer My Millions. And what he actually said was, I'm 40 years old. I have lived 21 million minutes. How am I using them? 21 million minutes. So if you're 20 years of age, instead of 21 million, you've got 10 and a half million to your credit. Okay? And if any of you happen to be 80, you've had 42 million. We sing, don't we? Take my moments and my days. Don't keep planning for the future. There was a young man. There was a young man who stood by a cross. The Lord Jesus looked down at his mother and looked down at the young man. He said to the woman, Woman, behold thy son. He said to the young man, Behold thy mother. Now note what it says. From that hour. From that hour he took her unto his own. From that hour. David stood one day about to leave earth, presenting Solomon to the nation telling them of the vast treasure he had accumulated for the purpose of building a temple, his message was, who will consecrate himself this day? You don't have tomorrow to consecrate yourself. You don't have next year to suddenly begin deciding, I'd like my life to count for God. You've got today. You've got this hour. You've got this moment. May the Lord help us to value and to rightly use the time he has given us as stewards of all of his wonderful gifts. Yes, how often we all fall into the same snare of wasting the precious time that we have, usually through making poor choices and how we spend it, for ourselves and not for the Lord. And it's all made possible by one simple formula, keeping Christ preeminent in our hearts. And this gives us joy, the strength and direction that we need to live victorious Christian lives. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Christians who are meeting in various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services as well as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. 
no collection is ever taken, and the very warm welcome awaits you. And if you've been challenged by today's message, would like to know more about the truth of the gospel, or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, following New Testament principles, please feel free to check out our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information, as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the Gospel Hall nearest you. My name is John Sharp, and thank you once again for listening. And we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that in times like these, you need a Savior. And in times like these, you need an anchor.